down here. It's not going to happen. We're going to eat it. Yeah, we're going to eat the chicken stew. So very excited about that. Okay, so this first thing I'm doing has nothing at all to do with the sermon. In fact, I've held on to it for months and just waiting for a moment where I could use it in a sermon, but I haven't been able to do it. So I just thought, hey, why don't we just use it this morning? It'll have nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But this was hilarious to me. found this a few months ago. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> if you don't, I'm not going to explain it because this is no longer a joke. But yeah, that's hilarious. All right. So I have to come clean. It's right at the front of this sermon. Um, I have another job. And I have been a professional golfer for quite some time. Uh, and there's people that have have sent me pictures and congratulated me on some uh, things that I have won. I have a group of friends. They don't know each other, but they've sent me congratulations that I've won certain golf championships. They just want to come clean and show you some pictures. This is the first one right here. Um, that's me. And then if you can just go to the second one and just stay there. So I know it'll look just slightly different, but that that's me golfing. Not really. <laughs> His name is Harris English. I absolutely know nothing about golf. I mean, I know some things about golf, but I really don't know anything about golf. I don't keep track of championships. I do watch the Masters. For some reason, I like that one. But, um, but yeah, this is Harris English. And every time that man wins, I know about it. I have groups of friends that don't know each other that send me texts, congratulations on winning whatever championship it was because they think I, I look like him. Well, that... Somewhat debatable, but I can sort of see it, maybe, sort of, in a way. I can see it. Here's what I know, though. I cannot golf. I'm not good at it at all. In fact, I gave, it, I gave up on it. I now throw Frisbees to golf is what I do. Um, I, I just can, cannot golf. I, I cannot be what that man right there is. Um, my father-in-law, when I first started dating... Uh, Nicole, and then even the first couple of years after marriage, would take me golfing, and he would try to teach me how to golf, okay? So he would give me instructions. He would give me instructions on how to swing, where to put my eyes, how to get it up in the air, what club to use, all that kind of stuff, and it just, I just never could do it. I could never do it. So finally, one day, my my father-in-law is an amazingly patient man, amazingly patient, but his patience in my golf game was at its end. And he looked at me and said, Philip, the reason you can't golf is because you never listen to what I'm saying. And I looked at him and said, Ralph, the reason I can't golf is because I can't golf. I don't have the capability to do this. I can kill worms, but I can't do anything else. There's only been one time in my entire career where I got a birdie. It was a par three. I accidentally hit the ball into the air over water, which never happened, right? It landed right like this far from the, from the hole, and I was just able to put it in. And, and it, it, it was just beautiful, and that's my claim to fame, and that's actually the last time I golfed because you, you, you end on a high note. Something that you remember that's positive, and then you go on and you do something else, all right? Um, back early 
early on, like in my college days, I would have a group of friends that would always invite me to come to tournaments. And the type of tournaments that they invited me to come to was like you had to take two shots. Like everybody on the team had to take two shots. The reason that they invited me to come is there is one shot that I'm very good at, and I don't know why, and I do not analyze it at all. And I might not even be good at it today because it's been 20 years since I've done this, okay? But if the ball lands into the sand pit, back then I could hit it out of the sand pit and half of the time it would go right into the hole. And if it didn't go into the hole, it would be right on the edge of the cup and they love that because nobody likes to hit out of the sand pit. I don't know why, I guess it's because you have to you know, fix the sand after you're done. That's not really the reason. But, but nonetheless, those are the two holes that, that I could do. I say all of this to say this, and this isn't popular in our culture, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. You cannot be anything you want to be. You can't. I might put it to you this way. You can't be whatever you want to be. You have to have the talent. You have to have the talent. I do not have the talent to be a great golfer. I would never become a great golfer. And if we're telling our children they can be anything they want to be, they cannot be anything they want to be. They can be exactly the thing that God has designed them to be. And the talents that has been given to them is what that they should pursue. For instance, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you. I have a talent for musical instruments. I can literally pick up any mu musical instrument except for the flute. I hate the flute. I just hate, the, I can't do the flute. But I can pick up any musical instrument and in a matter of 30 minutes play something on that musical instrument. It is just, it is just a talent that I have. It would be like, I don't, I don't know how you could compare it to, to something else, but it's someone that can work on a car, can fix a car within like a couple of minutes where I'm lost as soon as you lift the lid, right? I know what the engine is, I know what spark plugs are, but how to fix it, I may not be able to do that very well. Building stuff wouldn't be able to do that. But you give me an instrument and I'm good to go. I'm good to, I'm absolutely good to go. Because that is a talent that has been given to me by God. And you have a talent or talents that's been given to you by God. And that is what you need to pursue. You will be successful if you just grab a hold of the way that God designed you and you pursue that. Each one of us are very important. Each one of us has the task, and we work together as a body to complete that task. So whatever it is, go after that and quit trying to be something else that you were not created to be. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5. Now, two Sundays ago, Chad Harwell actually preached the first part of this message that I'm preaching to you. It was called a Prayer Connection. So this is the second part of what he was doing two weeks ago. If you're here for the first time, it doesn't matter because all these sermons are made to stand alone, but they connect together. And this is actually, to hopefully not confuse you, the fourth sermon in our prayer series, but it's the second part of what Chad started just two weeks ago in James chapter 5, and, and that is why we're there. So 
Let's go to James chapter 5, verse 16. And this is what it says. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, just a reminder, that particular word sick means emotionally weighed down in hardship. It's not an actual sickness like um, cancer or a virus or whatever. It's not that. It's, it's an actual, you feel bad, you, you are depressed, you, you are kind of feeling low, okay? So, therefore, confess your, wait, sorry, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and he has committed sins and will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins. Now, this does not mean that at the end of the service, you come up here and before the whole congregation, confess the sins that you've committed this week. That would be very awkward. Extremely awkward, right? But what this does mean is that if you are in a small group and there are people in that small group that you trust and you are struggling with a sin, you confess that sin to them so that they can pray for you so that you can get through that particular sin. So that you have somebody that you're accountable to, somebody that's praying for you so that you will get victory over that sin. That is what you do. And it needs to be somebody you trust. Um, I will say this. People can overcome sin as long as that sin is kept secret. What I mean by that is when I tell someone else a sin that I'm struggling with, that person doesn't get on social media and tell everybody in the world about that sin. They keep their mouth shut. And so what happens is they pray for me. I know that they're praying for me. They check in with me to make sure that I am... I am achieving the goal of being, being victorious over that sin. And within that privacy, you can overcome a sin. If everybody knows about it, ladies and gentlemen, you never get over it. Even if you're not doing it anymore, everybody that you know thinks you are. Is this making sense? So this scripture isn't tell everybody. This scripture is telling a group of people you trust so that you will have prayer support to get through that spiritual battle. That's what that is about. So therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And here's the text for today. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. Wow. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and look in the mirror or I'm in my car thinking about something I just did, and I don't feel too righteous. In fact, I would submit to you that when we feel righteous, we are sinning. Do you understand? Like if I feel righteous over someone else because I, that, that's sinning. So, so the righteousness, how in the world do I become righteous so that when I pray, my prayers will be heard of God and the power of God will move when I pray, how in the world can I be righteous? Well, the answer to that question is simple for us. We are righteous because we've been declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is why we're righteous. So when I look in the mirror and when I say I blew it again, I can immediately say I'm sorry for that sin and look in the mirror and say the blood of Christ has declared me righteous before the eyes of a holy God. 
I am righteous. Therefore, I can pray. Okay? So I'm in a righteous mode. So there's nobody in this room that at any given time with that theological concept is never capable of being righteous enough to pray. So the righteous person, when he prays, moves power. What exactly does that mean? Well, verse 17 gives us an example because James wanted to do that. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah. I don't know if you know this or not, but Elijah is one of the most um, referred to Old Testament characters in the New Testament. Everybody loves Elijah. I don't know if you know this or not, Elijah was a very powerful prophet. Very powerful prophet. He raised the dead. In fact, that's, that's one of the few times in the Old Testament where anybody is raised from the dead is Elijah. He's an amazing man. He went up on a mountain, and there was Baal worshipers trying to pray to their God to call down fire to burn their sacrifice, and Elijah told them that their God was on vacation. He made fun of them because they were serving a false God that couldn't answer that prayer. And then Elijah, at the end of the day, I don't know where he came up with the water. That's a miracle. He doused his thing with 12 big jars of water prayed for fire, the fire came down and not only consumed the sacrifices, but the rocks that they stacked for the altar. That's a miracle. I mean, this, this is an amazing myth. So we, we say, um, a righteous man has great power, and then Elijah, Elijah is the person, and you say that Elijah is like me? There's nobody in this room, I think, that's called to be a prophet. I know that there's nobody in this room that went on top of Pilot Mountain and called down fire onto a sacrifice. I know that hasn't happened, right? Or you would have posted it on social media. It would have been the TikTok of the week, right? It would have been there. There's nobody in this room that's done that. So how in the world is mine? How am I like Elijah? Because he is a great man, a great prophet, an amazing, faithful prophet of God. Well, here's how. He's like you and me. Sort of. Yeah. Elijah, this is Old Testament where he's mentioned. Elijah could rise to the highest of faith and commitment and then fall into the depths of despair and depression. In other words, Elijah could have a moment of greatness and then fall into depression and be weak. How is Elijah like us? Well, here's the next one. He could be brave and resolute. And then flee for his life at the, whiff, at, at the whiff of danger. He could stand firm and be confident that he was going to win that battle. But then hear about danger and, and go hide somewhere. Go, you know, seclude himself. Elijah could be selfless in his concern for others and then be filled with self-pity. He could help other people and care for other people and be with other people and then all of a sudden get very self-focused and inward-focused and then selfish. That's what he could do. Next. One day, he would feel like he could conquer the world, and the next day, he would feel all alone. He would wake up, I can conquer the world, and then feel all alone. Have you ever felt that way? 
Have a day where it was a great day and you, there's nothing you couldn't do, right? And then the day after that is like, oh, man, I feel like I'm alone. Nobody loves me. Nobody's called me. Nobody's liked my posts that I've posted wherever I post them on social media, depending on your age. I'm just being real. If it's Facebook, you're a certain age group. If you're TikTok, you're a certain age group. And one is older than the other. I don't even know why I said that. Okay, so here we go. Next, check this out. He was secure and insecure just like us. He had faith and then a wavering faith just like us. Do you want to know how Elijah was just like us? He was human. Was he called to be a prophet? Absolutely. Did he do that job? Absolutely. But he was still human. And in the text, it says, a righteous man can pray. And then Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed, and he prayed. You see, I don't know if Harris, the golfer, is a Christian or not, but let's just pretend he is. If he is, that's great. If not, let's pray for him, but let's just pretend he is. He's a great golfer. Just because he's a great golfer does not gain him special entrance into the throne room of God the Father to pray. Just because Elijah is called to be a prophet does not gain him some special entrance into the throne room of God to pray. We have that same privilege. We are men and women just like him. And we can boldly, if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we can boldly enter the throne room of God, of God the Father and make our petitions before him. We can talk to God. And there's not one person that's better than another person. Do they have different talents? Absolutely. Great golfer, great prophet. It, we acknowledge that. But their greatness is inconsequential to the greatness of God. It means nothing. They can enter and talk to God the Father just like you and I can. And that is a great truth. I don't know if you know this or not. And you may not even want to. Okay? You may not even want to. She can't just roll up on into the White House, the people's house, and go talk to the president, regardless of who he is. You can't do that. But you can roll up on, it, on your knees and go into the presence of God and talk to the most powerful being that has ever existed. You can go in there and talk to him. And Elijah was a man just like us, with a nature just like ours, and he prayed. So what in the world did he pray for? What is James going to say that he prayed for? Well... Good luck. He, he tells us. He tells us. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Okay, he, he prayed for rain. He prayed for, prayed for rain not to happen, and then he prayed for rain to happen. Okay, I am a man just like Elijah, and I have prayed that the weatherman would be wrong. God answers that prayer a lot. <laughs> oh, I, was waiting. I was waiting for that one. Okay. But the weatherman, for instance, if there's a hurricane and all the people that are meteorologists decide that the hurricane is going to hit a particular portion of our country... 
I don't know about you, but I immediately pray that they're wrong. Somehow or another, that hurricane will turn and go into the Atlantic Ocean and not hurt anybody. I cannot tell you the times that that prayer has gone unanswered. I did not stop rain with my prayer. Does that mean that somehow I'm unrighteous? Does that, that mean I didn't move the, the power of God to move the hurricane? What, what in the world does that mean? There's times that I've prayed stuff like that, that that just didn't happen. So how am I like Elijah? Because I can't even pray for rain to stop. I prayed for rain not to happen to some events here at the church, and that has happened. But then there's been other times where God said, hey, the ground needs rain. There might have been a joker down the road praying for rain, and I'm praying against rain. So God just sided with him. So, so I, can't, I can't do, it doesn't seem like I can do what Elijah's doing, but James is saying that I can do that. If I am righteous, a righteous person and I pray, great power is working in that prayer. And Elijah was a man just like me, so I can pray just like him. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain. So what in the world does that mean? Well, to get that answer, we have to go to 1 Kings chapter 18. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. What in the world does this mean? And the other question I have is why did, why did James pick that prayer? Because this isn't the only prayer in Scripture that Elijah prayed. Okay, He prayed for a God to be risen from the dead. He prayed for people to have food. He prayed constantly in Kings. So why did he pick this particular prayer what is he trying to teach us from this example of Elijah? And this is what the word of God says in verse 41 of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. It says this, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and drink, for there is the sound of rain. There is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. I, I just need to pause there a moment. He put his face between his knees. Have you tried to do that at your age? The man must have had some long legs or something because I can't do that. I mean, I, right? I mean, if you pull your leg, I mean, can you, you know, I can get this one up, but God knows this one isn't covered. Right? I'm just not that flexible. Oh, right? So here's a guy that is limber enough to get down on his knees and put his face, his ears, right here. I believe that the reason he could do that is because he did this often. Like, he was constantly doing this. You know, you can limber up if you exercise, I guess. Am I wrong with that? I mean, you can limber up. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the gymnastics people do crazy, weird stuff with their body, like legs here and where they're not really supposed to be, where it would hurt me. Like, it hurts my back to get out of bed. Right? 40 does something to you. 40, 45, it does something to you. It hurts your back when you go out. You don't think that this is going to happen to you, but lo and behold, 40 comes, and be, you have aches and pains where you didn't even know there was stuff that existed there. So here is this old man putting his head between. And the reason he could do that is because he did this often. He got on his knees and he made this humble position before God very often. How often do you and I 
go down into a position of prayer where we are physically humbling ourselves in the presence of God. How often do we do that? A lot of us, and it's okay to pray standing up in our cars, it's just fine, but how many times do we actually get on our knees and humble ourselves before God in his throne room? That's a message for another time, so we'll keep reading. Uh, Face between his knees, verse 43. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. Because we all know from the Wizard of Oz that water melts evil people. (laughs) Verse 45, and in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Let me put this into perspective for you, okay? Elijah gets down on his knees. I'm going to use his chair, so you, you know. And he prays, Lord, let it rain. Cause clouds to come and a great rain to come on this land. We have been in a drought for three and a half years. And then he pops up and he tells his servant, why don't you go up on the top of the mountain and see if it's raining? Now, if you pause here a moment, a guy that can put his head between his knees can walk up on the top of the mountain to see if it's about to rain. Come on, that's funny. He's in physical good condition to do this, but he didn't do that. He sent his servant. His servant went up and came back down and said, nope, there's no rain. Okay, I'm going to pray again. And he goes back down a second time, a third time, a fourth time, each time sending This guy up, and he said, yeah, there's not rain, there's not a cloud, there's no sign of rain anywhere. And so the seventh time, if the servant, I don't know how he was feeling, but if he was American, maybe, possibly, or, you know, I didn't mean to, but if he was, why do I have to do this again? I've been up there six times, there's no rain, why do I need to do this again? And Elijah says, go. So the servant goes up, and he gets on top of the mountain, and he looks, and there's just a little bitty cloud in the sky. He comes back down and tells Elijah that, and Elijah says, okay, that's it. I don't know if they had classes that told them the different types of clouds like we do, and they had the Latin words to go to it. They didn't have the Latin words. I don't know if they had clouds like that, but they went. He said, look, that's a rain cloud, go. And so the servant went. There's a lesson here. Because long before there was a drop of rain, Elijah heard the rain. Long before there was a drop of rain on the ground or any sign of rain, Elijah heard the rain. Look at verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of rain and he says that before even a drop hits the ground wow so elijah is like it's going to rain 
he gets down, and as he's praying, he is visualizing rain falling on his country. And he gets up and tells the servant to go see if it's happening. But Elijah is already seeing it. How in the world does Elijah already see something that he's praying for that is going to happen? How does he know to do that? Well, I'll tell you how. If you flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, it says this. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah had heard from God that God was going to send rain, and he prayed for it and visualized it before it even happened because he trusted what God was saying to him. What if prayer isn't just us telling God what we need and what we want? What if prayer is also listening to what God wants to say to us? What if our prayer time needs to have moments of silence where we're on our knees listening for God to speak to us? What if prayer was meant to be a relationship and not a genie? A relationship. A relationship where two people that love each other talk to each other. And I know that there's some people that I'm friends with that don't believe this, but I know it to be true. God speaks to me verbally and in many ways. I take that and I make sure that it matches scripture because God isn't going to tell me something to do that is against scripture. I make sure that it's anchored in scripture, but God does speak to me. I also have to be careful because Satan sometimes sounds like God because he's a deceiver. So you have to be careful with all of that, but God does speak. And so you have to match it with scripture and make sure it matches this before you act on it. Okay? So God speaks to us. He tells us stuff. And he told Elijah this. And he wanted Elijah to visualize it. And that's precisely what Elijah does. What if prayer was listening? We all have friends. I hope. But maybe not. I don't know. We all have that friend that walks into the room, and as soon as they hit the door, it's yap, 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 and you never get to say anything to them. Do you have a friend like that? Oh, you just looked at your sister. That wasn't really nice. Anyway, you, you, you know, you, you yap, 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 right? And they yap, and you can never get any word in, and then they leave talking. In fact, you may have to walk away from them to get away from them talking. Do you know anybody like that, or am I the only person that? Yeah, I'm, yeah there's just people, right? And so sometimes we, we treat prayer like that. We walk into the throne room of God, yapping, 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 and we never stop to listen to see if he has something to say to us. Because it's a one-way deal. So we back up. And we go into the throne room of God, and we listen. Okay? 
So that said, go back to James chapter 1. Verse 16, the latter part of it. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So how do we find out what God is saying to us? And at the basic level, God has already spoken to everybody in this room because he has given you the word of God. He has given you his word. So how does that work? Well, let me start with the familiar one. Romans 8.28 says, God works things out for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's a promise. So whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're in, God is going to work out for good for those that are called according to your purpose. So how does that work? Well, this is how it works. Something's going on, let's say, let's say that you um, have lost your job, okay? Let's say that you've lost your job. You go down, you pray, Lord, <clears throat> you know that I've lost my job, and this is a struggle for my family. I'm not sure how we're going to make ends meet and what is in the future, but I pray that you help me get another job so that I can provide for my family. And then you say, I know that this is a bad situation, but you have promised in your word to work everything out for good for those who are called according to your purpose. So I'm trusting that. And what you do in that prayer is you visualize, you hear the rain, you hear the fact that you will be provided for and that God is going to use that particular situation for your good. He's going to work it out. You visualize it. And you go back, right? Because when you pray that prayer and you come out, sometimes you're still in the mess. And you don't see how God is working this out for your good, right? Well, when you don't see it, you just go back to prayer and you pray again. Lord, help me see how you're working this out for my good. Because I'm called according to your purpose. How are you going to get glory out of this? How are you going to make this bad situation good a good situation, something that honors you. And so you get back up and you go and you go back and forth until you see the good that God is working out of your mess. Are you tracking? So you've heard from God's word. You've heard that he has promised to work it out for good. He is going to do something great with your bad moment. He's going to do that. It's a promise. So you pray for it. But you have to visualize, you have to think that it's going to happen and look for it. You see, faith is what is unseen. Something that hasn't happened. And you have faith that that will occur. Well, how else does this work? What if I'm not going through a, a tough time? Well, and, I, and, I'm try, well, and I'm trying to pray. What, what else can I pray? Well, there's the Lord's Prayer. There's the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's just stop there. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's my will and what I want to do that causes me problems in my life. How about you? 
My will, what I want to do, causes me problems in my life. And it's at that moment that I've created something bad, something that shouldn't be, that I stop and I say, look, Lord, I'm done with my will. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to take over this particular moment, and I want it to become what you want. I want your kingdom to touch down right here. I want to see it. So you pray it. You say, Lord, not my will, but your. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but yours. Make my will that is against your will match your will so that I can be a righteous person praying in the direction and see your great power work. I pray this constantly for this church. It has been my prayer for 13 years and it's going to continue to be my prayer. There are sometimes I do not know what to pray for Farmington Baptist Church while I have something. I pray my Father who, who's in heaven, your name is awesome. Your name is above every other name. It's amazing. I would like your kingdom to come and your will to be done at 1835 Farmington Road. Are you tracking? Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for your needs for your church. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I want you and your will to be here at 1835 Farmington Road. I desire for heaven to touch down on earth at 1835 Farmington Road and every single ministry that we do for the glory of God the Father. And you visualize that happening. You look for it to happen. And in 13 years, I can tell you, he has been faithful. It's not about what I'm doing here. It's about his kingdom being here. I have prayed for it. And he is here. It's part of what he wants. See, God didn't send his son into the world so that he would not have a presence in the world, anywhere in the world. He sent his son into the world so that we would have a church where people could find him. When you pray for him to be here, he's here. And that should always be our focus. It is never our will that is important. What is important is for our will to go alongside parallel with his will, and we pray for that. A relationship is when you spend time with someone, and you talk to them, and they talk to you, and they share their heart with you, and you understand their heart, and you help them achieve their heart's desire. There's no greater power on earth, no greater heart that we could be in touch with in God's and being in line with his. So if you don't know what to pray, just pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven so that something happens and look for it to happen and you pray for it and you look for it to happen and you pray for it and you look for it to happen. So James chapter 5 verse 13 gives us some other things to pray. It says, is anyone among you suffering? 
Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So when we're suffering, we pray. When we're feeling down, we pray. When we're being cheerful, praise is just a prayer to God. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? And you know from the other sermon that that sickness is really not a sickness like you would have a disease. It's more of an emotional, you're feeling down sort of deal. It says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This isn't us taking oil to the, to the hospitals and anointing people with oil. It's an encouragement sort of prayer. And so you ask Look, I'm feeling down. I'm trying. I'm in a mess right now. I'm suffering. I need strength. And you ask the people of your church to pray for you, specifically the elders of your church, the leadership of your church. But you ask for people to pray for you. And those people come alongside you and they pray for you. So it, 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 it works like this. Let's say um, he says he's struggling with something and he tells me about it. And he's in that moment put my hand on his shoulder. Let's pray about that. And we pray. And as I pray, the words that I'm praying, supernaturally and God-empowered, encourages his soul at some level. Now, he might still be sad when I'm done. But he's stronger in that moment because I prayed for him. If I am feeling down and lonely, and I feel like my world is falling apart. And I ask somebody for prayer, and they touch my shoulder, and they pray for me. I may still feel down, and I may still feel sad, but there's a strength that comes in that moment because I've heard words that were spoken to my Heavenly Father, and I know that He's moving to help me through this particular situation. Is this making sense? So it's the power of that prayer. The prayer of a righteous person moves God's heart. I might even put it to you this way. When we pray, we move the most powerful being that ever has been and that will ever will be. He is always going to be the most powerful person, being that you know. And when you pray, you move him. So in this passage, it says, look, if you're feeling down, go to somebody. And if you don't have anybody, go to the elders of the church. They will pray for you, and you will gain strength from that. This text continues. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It will bring them back to vitality. It will help them get through whatever they're going through. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You may say, I came forward in church, someone prayed for me, I felt good at the time, but then when I left, I kind of went down in that motion. Well, guess what? You got to go back and get somebody to pray for you again. Call somebody on the phone, I really need prayer right now. And you pray. To people in the church, if you're ever approached 
by somebody that has a need and they're really, they really have a need and they're telling you about it, don't just tell them that you'll pray for them and not pray for them in that moment. They need prayer in that moment. Stop what you're doing and pray for them. That is what they need. Well, Philip, I didn't, there's, there's sometimes I don't know what to say. Welcome to the club. What you can pray is for them to have strength. You can always pray that they will be able to see how God is working this out for their good. And you can always pray for God to move in their heart and give them encouragement. You can always pray those things. So you always have something to pray. The text says, if you are lonely in heart, if you are sick, if you are emotionally down, find somebody and get them to pray for you. That is what the word of God says. And just like Elijah, we can pray and God's power will move. Isn't that a great truth? An amazing truth. So that's the message. That's it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you.